All righty, all righty. Well, I'm with my man, Angelo Cisco. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on here, man. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to this. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, um, Angelo, we were connected through a, uh, a mutual friend, um, Chase, and he pretty much just put us in a, a group DM on Instagram. And we had a video chat, I want to say like maybe a month ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, just obviously loved loved your energy and everything that you were doing. And so I was uh, pretty pretty thrilled uh, that you wanted to be on here and talk to me, man, and, and uh, share with our audience here at Be Uncommon. And um, so, again, just appreciate you taking the time. And I'm really looking forward to diving into to what you do, man. Oh, man, I'm stoked to be here. Pleasure. Yeah. So when I'm doing my homework and I'm, uh, you know, I was going over your Instagram and stuff. One thing that I saw is you're in San Clemente. I knew that already. Um, you know, and I'm from Orange County. So I, I love San Clemente. That city is amazing. It's one of my favorite cities in California. Um, and uh, I noticed that you actually, you know, uh, Martin from uh, North Menswear. Martin. Oh, yeah. He's, he's my guy. He's yeah. Awesome. We were just texting I, this morning. No way. Yeah. So that's funny. I saw, uh, I saw you post a picture at North Men's where I was like, dude, I love that place. I went in there, I talked to him and uh, I've been in touch with him a little bit too before, especially right before I moved, but um, really, really dope dude. I just love St. Clemente. The vibes are awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I walked into North and it was the, one of the most comfortable, fun shopping experiences I've ever had. Like I, you know, I, uh, a lot of men, uh, you know, I, you know, are habitually not, uh, fans of shopping and you go there, you could drink a coffee, you could have a cocktail if you want, you could sit around and like, you could learn about the clothes you're buying and where they really come from. And it's, it's a, it's a shopping experience more than just shopping. And so I fell in love with it. I have so much of their stuff. <laughs> I love that. No, their, their products are incredible. I was actually telling Martina, I was like, dude, I think you'd make a killing down in Austin. Like that setup and with those clothes and what he was, what he was, you know, planning on doing with, with North was, uh, I was like, dude, I love that. I wish there was something like that up here. It's 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 badass. Yeah, it's a, it's uh, it's just a, you know a fine shopping experience, and I think if anyone, especially men, get to do it, I think they'd really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So going into uh, what you do in your in your Instagram bio, it says you teach entrepreneurs how to consider others' feelings or, or consider the feelings of others and act accordingly without judgment. Um, yeah. I'd like to know kind of going into detail about what that all entails and what do you mean by like you're teaching them to consider the feelings of others? Yeah. Uh, I work with a lot of uh, C-suite and founders and entrepreneurs and on the way for them to get success, they have learned a, a habit of shutting a lot of things out mm. in order to, you know, to say no to certain things and to do that. And once they, they achieve a level of success, uh, they usually find out that they didn't foster really great relationships. And, and I really, I work with them on that part of their life. I just think it's such a unfair way to look at life where you could be successful in business, but you can't be successful everywhere else. And a lot of times they, if they try to do that on their own, they try to make success, quote unquote success, what it is like in business. And it doesn't work in relationships. They're chaotic. You're, you're, you know what I mean? You're moving through things that are just, there's no scoreboard in relationships, right? You shouldn't be trying to be in a relationship and thinking, oh, once we get here, everything will be great like it is in business. And so I really spend a lot of time working with that because it's just, like I said, it's how crappy of a life it is to have a lot of money and be really successful, but not have people that you love with you. Yeah, and I think that's been a really big topic I've been seeing a lot just in a lot of different mediums of podcasts, you know, social media of people describing what success quote unquote actually is. And, you know, a lot of people, you could go material, like you said, having all this money and being successful in business. But like you said, if you have no one to share it with, or you didn't create a good tribe or have meaningful connections and um, I think a lot of people think that in order to be successful, you have to be super cutthroat and you have to be, like you said, just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the boss. I'm doing this. I have to be, you know, hard nosed and, and say no to all these things. I can't have feelings. You have to be more analytical. You know, you can't take things personal. I think that whole, that whole, um, you know, description of what like a boss is or what success is in the business world. Um, what are like some things that, 
that you've noticed or that you've worked with some of these, um, you know, business businessmen, entrepreneurs? Um, what what are some tools that that you've worked with them? Yeah, so many of them come to me, and I would say that they're they're very intelligent and mm-hmm. and very self aware. Where I I work with them the most is not so much on awareness but acceptance. Mm. Uh, and when we're not accepting, we're having an argument with reality. And that is just the key to suffering and not, you know, unhappiness. And so we really look at what areas of their life first, have they not just really accepted? And for many of them, like I said, they have this idea of maybe what businesses or even the, the high they've gotten from being really successful in business. And then they go home and they're just dead. And that and accepting that and 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 finding a way to love that and embrace that and not be arguing you know arguing with it and i think a lot of men they they work a lot because that's where the place where they get recognized the most and praised the most and all that different stuff but when they come home my son doesn't care how much money i made today he wants to know if i'm going to go in the yard this afternoon and dig some stuff or whatever we do out there and at first I think all of us, you know, that could be like, man, this isn't as fulfilling as that. And so I really work with them on those things because at the end of their life, they're they're not going to really care about their money or their business or any of those things. They're going to care about the relationships and the the connections that they've made throughout their life. Man, absolutely. I've uh, that concept of, you know, like we're stamped with death the moment we're born. And I was reading something the other day about just you're not going to regret the risks that you took. You're going to regret the risks that you didn't take and do and not doing the things that you always wanted to do. Um, what I'm curious, what's your definition of success? Yeah, oh, wow. What a great question. Hmm. Leaving it better than you found it. I love that. I love that. Just life, right? Just Everybody life. come into Even, contact with. That's it. Every, every experience doing uh, my best uh, to, to leave it better than I found it. I really think that that is, uh, that could be a little woo-woo-y, of course, and, and not very descriptive. But if you really take a look at every idea of success, it's a culmination of consistent leaving it better than you found it. So why don't just focus on that? I love that. I love that. And, uh, it's, and it's, it's also like, it's an easy thing to do. And it's also an easy thing not to do. Like, you know, it's leaving something better than you found it because it takes effort, but all you got to do is probably that little bit of effort, that little bit more, a little bit, you know what I mean? Just to make sure that you're leaving something better than you found it, whether that's like your life, your job, your relationships, your, the your bed in the morning, like just the little things that add up and compound over your life, and you could look back and be proud of. Um, so I know that you, besides, uh, you know, your coaching, you created a company called Alpha Hippie, correct? Yes. Yeah. What is? Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about Alpha Hippie? Yeah, for sure. What a great story. So in 2014, um, I, I guess you call it awakening. I really realized at that moment that I was the real limiter in my life. Before then, I really didn't know. And I dove headfirst into figuring out myself as best as I could. And that really started my my spiritual journey. And uh, I was coming out here to SoCal from Chicago probably once a quarter for different masterminds or retreats or gatherings or whatever. And I came home from one and I described what we were doing um, and someone made fun of me. Uh, obviously, you know, this wasn't, uh, meditation and all that stuff was, it's not very, it wasn't very popular at least yeah. back in then. And, uh, I told someone, uh, and you know, back, I said, man, you don't understand this shit. Cause you're not an alpha hippie. Oh. And I was like, man, what a great name for what I'm really trying to embody in my life. And so I went online and I looked if there was a shirt that said alpha hippie and there wasn't. So I made one. And I printed out a hundred shirts and I shared them with people all over the world and these different uh, festivals and different things I went to. And Alpha Hippie is the, to me, the, the perfect embodiment of 
being in harmony with yourself. I think there's a time and a place where the alpha and that hunter in us all needs to play. And it's not supposed to be on all the time. Mm. And learning to embrace your creative side, your artistic side, your, your side of chaos uh, is really important. I think if anyone suppresses that, they suppress a really big part of themselves. And it's, I could see why it's easy to suppress because it's chaos. You don't know where it's going. You don't have any rules. And everything about control uh, is out the window once you touch that side. And so it's learning how to dance with that part of us because we're just as much hippie as we are alpha. Just some people don't play it. I love that. And I love the word that you used, harmony. Um, that's been a really big word for me lately. And I, I listen to a lot of Rob Deerdeck stuff. And he always talks about living a harmonious life. And I used to love the word balance, like, oh, everything I do is balanced, like yin and yang. And but I realized like balance means it's split right down the middle. And that's not that's not life. It's never like that. It's harmony, because sometimes you need a little bit more feminine than you do the masculine. And so I love that you brought that up, those two energies. And I think especially I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a spiritual awakening kind of going on and people are being more more conscious of this of these things. But I think prior especially probably the people that you've worked with. Um, I feel like, especially with men, they don't even want to tap into that feminine side. They think they want to think that that's just a total side. That's like not for them and the masculine and carrying this, all this weight of that, you, you know, portraying what you think you need to be instead of tapping into that side when that's what makes you whole, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's. I hope this doesn't sound like a cop out, but I've I've experienced this myself, and for many men's stories. Society, when our age demographic and even older was growing up, they were taught that if they were in that state, that they were weak. Mm. B- big boys don't cry. I couldn't tell you how many guys I know, and I talked to them about, hey, do you like to draw or do you like to paint? They go, no, I haven't drew since I was seven years old, since my teacher told me the drawing was ugly. Like, mm. there's certain things that, you know, that you're there. And think about this, too. Like, you know, you're a seven-year-old boy. You're not out playing sports when you sit in your room reading. Like, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Like, uh, we've been taught, men have been taught, and our culture just has really shifted to where it's so much about what we do physically. Mm. most men like physical outside world what we look like with our muscles what we do in business what we do in a sport like in our achievement and that's that's been such uh recognized over and over again in us and i think a lot of times uh it's not that we didn't have that feminine side it was taken out of us and that's good because all you have to do is reunite with it because more than likely the thing that made us stop embracing that feminine side when we were younger. The only reason we didn't, uh, we were able to, or we stopped doing it is because we didn't have the awareness of who was even talking to us and what were they doing. Like we listened to our parents because that's how we survived. We didn't know that our parents were just fallible human beings fucking this thing up just like us. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you could get a little bit older and be able to look at these things and realize that it's just a big misunderstanding, a lot of people are more open to embracing it. I, I love that. And I think uh, that's a weird point in life. And I mean, it hit me probably a couple of years ago where you actually hit a point where you realize your parents are human beings. And that we're literally a bunch of big ass toddlers out here trying to figure out every moment for the first time. Like when this day hits, like today's the first time that your parents are experiencing this day as well. Like, you know, when when you're a kid, like you're all doing shit for the first time that day. Like nobody's ever lived this day before. You're never going to live this day again. Every moment is the first. And it's, it's really a miracle, obviously just every moment that happens and like how everything from fucking billions of years ago had to happen for us to be having this conversation right now. I always trip out about shit like that. But like you said, you only know what you know and your parents only know what you know. So it's, it's really nobody's fault. And especially in, in times of when, you know, your parents grew up and their parents grew up and those times were so different and the access to things were so different. I mean, I was tripping out about, you know, we're in these houses and, and, and shit now. And it's like, but people had to discover this land and people had to do trial and error and they had to figure out what to eat. What can't we eat? Like it, it was just such a different time compared to all the access we have now. Yes. It's uh, 
where we live now and what our life is now is a hundred year old thing. It's a very new thing, even though we don't experience that. One thing I wanted to circle back on is uh, a thing that I do with all of my clients is I have them change their parents' uh, name in their phone to their real names. Mm. And we do this because when we are adults and we still look at those people that brought us into the world as mommy and daddy, we are under the spell of them being mommy and daddy. And so I, you know, I say, what's your dad's name? Frank. Great. Change it to Frank. And it's really important to look at them that way as we get older, because one, we have to take people off pedestals. Mm. And, and, and if you are still living your life as an adult with your parents still think in that paradigm of mommy and daddy, they're going to disappoint you because they're just regular people. And now you could see all the faults that they really have. You just didn't see them when you were a kid because they hit them and you didn't need to know. Them. Mm -hmm. And so we really do that. And it really frees it up where people could learn to have a new relationship with their parents that is built on friendship and love and things of that nature, not I'm your, I have to be obedient to you and to do what you think is right, or I have to make you happy first. And so it's, I think it's something all of us has to do to really step into what being an adult really is. That's a, that's amazing. That's a really, really cool, uh, you know, tool to have. And, and like you said, you're, you're, you're evening the playing field. And I, I, I feel that with like your parents or celebrities or, you know, people that, you know, like the Joe Rogans of the world that are, you know, like it, when you even the yeah. playing field, you treat everybody like a human being, that's where the mutual respect comes in. And that's how you can get, get to love. And I actually read, um, the 12 rules of life by Jordan Peterson. And he talks about, uh, living as if your dad died. Yep. Right. And, and, and he, even if he's not dead yet, or, you know, I know that's kind of a trigger for people. And I'm sorry if, if, you know, anybody's had anybody that's passed away or a father figure that's passed away recently or something, but they say that like, when you live as if that's happened, you take all these expectations and limitations off of yourself because you've been living in that shadow. Like you said, like, Oh, I can't do this because I'm scared of how my family's going to see me or my parents are going to judge me. And that's crazy. Cause that's supposed to be unconditional love. Right. And most of the time, even, I mean, maybe at first, if they don't really love your choice or accept your choice, they're your parents. Eventually, they're going to get on with it. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is built up inner fear. And that's why it's healthy. Like, like Jordan Peterson said is pretend they're dead. So you make choices for you and your life and what's best for you and not best for other people. A hundred percent. I think that's the only thing that you can do. I think you can only live your life based on what you want. If you make any decision based off anybody else, your parents, your spouse, whatever the case is, that's where resentment I think starts to come in because I hate the victim mentality of, Oh, well, I made that decision for you. No, you made that decision. They didn't make yes. that decision. You made that decision based on them. You didn't make that decision based on you. And that's where this whole miscommunication comes into play. Um, and I, I love, I love that, that tool that you do with your clients. Is there, um, is there any, anything that you've noticed? Cause here on, on be uncommon, I like to highlight the distinctions that make people them, you know, that kind yeah. of, that bring out those unique qualities. Is there any, I guess I like to say, um, uh, an uncommon commonality, but amongst all these successful people that you work with, as far as, you know, owning a business or running a business and, and doing these kind of things, is there anything that they've all kind of had in common that you've either had to work with that you needed to change with them or vice versa that you thought, wow, that's really cool that all these people kind of have this similar quality. I will say uh, because of the people that I work with have had some sort of success they all share that they uh, they know how to be committed to something mm. and really see it through. And, be, and because I know and we have evidence that they've been committed and saw something through because they've been successful in their business, I often play on that analogy where even if this isn't comfortable right now, you know you could get through things. You know what you need to do. You need to show up. You need to be consistent. And you need to change your behaviors. And then it's just, it's very eye-opening for them, but also very promising for them or inspiring because they know that they've been successful. They're just doing something else. 
And so eventually they'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think what's crazy for people to understand, like even, you know, as far as athletes, you know, like myself, when I was done playing, playing football, I, I was told if you put all the work in that you put into these 20 years of football, like you would be successful in any arena that you want, that you go into. And I think, you know, whether it's business and you're in a specific niche or you built this up for 20 years or you're an athlete or whatever you're, you've labeled yourself, you don't realize the tools that you've created that you can just add into all your other aspects of life and your relationships with your kids, with your, whatever the case is, it's just a little bit of work that you already know how to do. You just don't know the actual tangible things in that part, in that aspect of your life. Yeah. So they just, the thing is, is if you have great work ethic, you could build new skills. Mm. And that's it. It's just, we're learning new skills of how to be more present with your kids or make sure you're having date night with your wife every week and that you're, you're checking on her and seeing how she's doing or learning your wife's love languages so that you could speak more in them. They're just all these little things. But like I said, because they have that foundation of discipline, which is to me, the ability to say no, Mm. and they know that they have that, they could say no to other things so that they could put in time to get better at this stuff. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? The, cause that was a very, very, and I'm every day I fail at this is, is the saying, no, the power of the word, no, like, what do you mean when you, when you, when you say that? So to me, what discipline is and discipline, if you have discipline, you don't need motivation. That's the way I look at it. It's discipline is this feeding of, of motivation, because when you are disciplined, you say no to your, to other, to people, other things, and even to yourself in the short term, you know, Mm. when someone can get up every morning and not hit snooze and get right to the gym, like they're, they're saying a lot of no's in that, in that, in, in that interim. And I think a lot of people don't realize you're saying no's to things. And that doesn't like uh, the ability to say no is often a confidence thing, right? Like wow. we're, we're so in our, in our animal brains, we're so scared of getting thrown out of a tribe that we don't want to shake the tribe up. And we have then created a story that if we say no, we're disrupting the tribe. So the tribe is going to throw us away. And, you know, saying no is a skill. And it's something to work on. I've had clients where we've played games where I said, no matter what you're doing, your instant answer is a no. I don't care if you're at a restaurant and your waitress wants to fill up your water. Say no and then laugh and say, I just changed my mind. But get yourself in the habit of saying no. And we're just so in a habitual state of saying yes. And I think that that's just something to practice because any achievement in any area of your life cannot be done without focus and focus takes discipline. Mm. And, and it's like where, what is it? Where your, your, uh, where your mind goes, your energy flows and, and, and the direction that you're going and you're putting the energy in that direction. And the saying, no, I almost feels like goes hand in hand with, with asking questions. And, you know, you talked about learning and a big thing for us on be uncommon and how I, I live my life is, is relentless curiosity. And just always seeking, you know, whether that's advice, learning, you know, and, and being open to people. I remember the first time we talked, I, you know, I was expressing to you the things that I was struggling with, struggling with clarity and direction and, you know, still still going through that. But the process, like you said, it's a muscle. You have to grow that that saying no muscle. You have to grow that asking questions muscle. And I was reading a book by Robin Sharma called Who Will Cry When You uh, Who Will Cry When You Die? And he talks about going places kind of like you said and just asking questions and he he goes to say like you'll you'll be amazed at the answers you'll get and how far you'll get by just asking hey can i get an extra piece of bread hey can i get an extra uh thing of sauce hey can i like just because people are uncomfortable asking for things and i know i am too i get very uncomfortable asking people for anything and i think it's because a lot of people weaponize weaponize those things when they do something for you. I think sometimes it comes back and I think that's what you're scared of sometimes. Um, But I love that the power, the power of no and asking questions. It's a, it's incredible. I'd like to share something with you then. And this is something for you and and for everybody. Uh, I call this an empowered request. So I have thought about asking for help and this is something 
I think every gender does, but men especially. I'm weak. They're going to judge me. They're going to have oh, they're going to have the leverage on me. It's mm. it's a whole thing. And so I studied the dynamic of asking questions, wow. and I realized that many of us have have. There's three ways to ask questions, but many of us only know two. And so I'll I'll illustrate this, and then we'll talk about this. So my father uh, asked questions like a tyrant, for instance. Angelo, I need you to go to the store for me. Okay. Like he doesn't. Yeah, there's no question. (laughs) Right. It's not really a question. It's just he puts okay so it sounds like one. Mm. And and that creates a dynamic where if you say yes, (laughs) someone is talking down to you. Mm. They're not honoring you or empowering you. Mm. Then I realized that my wife has a different one. She has it from her knees. She does it below. So my wife asks questions like this, would you mind dot, dot, dot. And when she asks, would you mind, what she's really saying is I'm in the way. I'm, I'm not, you're more than me. I'm below you. Would you. Is this an inconvenience to see me? So how do people get treated that way? Is if, so what we did was, is we played a game where anytime she said, would you mind? Before she even got to the question, I said yes and turned around. And I, I, we don't, don't get me wrong. We already, we, we accepted the rules of this game. I didn't just yeah, go out yeah. and dismiss my wife for fun. Yeah, yeah. But I let her, I let her see if she came from that position that she was going to get treated that way. And, and whatever you show up in, in your relationships, that creates the behavioral cycle. You're always going to be that person. Mm. And I thought a lot about this and I was like, well, how can I ask a question with not talking down to someone, but also keeping my dignity? And so I call it the empowered request. Wow. And this is how I ask questions of any kind. And it's, it's, it's really great. And, and so what I say is, is I have a request. Are you open to receiving it? And so, it, and then I, and then if they say yes, I ask them the question and I'll unpack this for you. So when I say I have a request, I'm already saying that I have a question and that I'm showing that I'm not embarrassed about it. I have mm-hmm. a request. And then I'm showing respect to that other person by saying, are you open to receiving it? I didn't even ask the question yet. I yeah. wanted to make sure that it was the right time. Because I, you know, if someone messaged me right now, I have a request. No, I'm not open to it right now, but I am later. Mm. And also using the word open, who wants to say they're closed anyway? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then so it really that. sets up a, this perfect frame. And then I could ask the question. I'm not embarrassed that I have a question. I asked you if it was a permissionable time, a good time for us to do this. And we wind up on such a good equal place where I'm not talking down to you or I'm not, you're not, I'm not talking below you. We're equals. I have a request and are you open? So it's built on mutual respect. And it has literally changed my entire world about asking for help or asking for things and not feeling embarrassed. Just I didn't know how to really prepare it really well. And I think that's why I was apprehensive about it most of my life, because I would bring an embarrassed energy to questions. Mm. Yeah, that, I, that is, that's amazing. I, uh, it's funny because as you're explaining that, I can think of times that I've done both. Where I've yeah. been like, hey, would you mind like doing this for me? And then also the one where I've been a little too probably, you know, like not even asking the question, just, hey, you're going to do this, you know, and that's uh, yeah. both are wrong. I love the whole mutual respect thing because that's how it the world should operate. No one's above one another. There's no one. There's a thing. No one has more rights than another person. One of my friends, Jesse, told me this. He's like, no one has more rights. He's like, in certain scenarios, somebody may have more authority as far as a role, but you should still have a mutual respect because each person has a role without, without these people that are under you in this business. It's like, you know, the CEO with the janitor, right? I mean, the janitor has a role. It's he's keeping he or she's keeping the place clean. It's keeping in order. Like everybody has a role and no role is too big or too small. So I think the whole mutual respect thing. And I love how you said that that becomes a habit. If you, Ask the question from, you know, like you said, what your wife was doing. And that's how dynamics are probably put into place, like you said, right? It just becomes a habit. And then you're used to being the submissive one and, and, and letting them, your partner, take the, the rules. Yeah. 
it's uh yeah it, it like uh, it does it becomes just the identity of the relationship and yeah. this is how i interact and this is how you interact and we're in this dance of the relationship and you know i like you said we're all if we really took a look at all we had in common and our differences we would laugh at how much is really different <laughs> oh my god yeah and 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 just being able to to speak to someone with respect and also in a tone where i respect myself is really mm. important absolutely i think uh, how you carry yourself in alone and it's not an arrogant thing it's just like you said carrying yourself with confidence when you say things and you have you you're impeccable with your word and you believe in your word because you can sniff that out if somebody's faking it or or they don't even believe what they're selling. It's like you can, you can feel the energy. Your words have energy. Your actions have energy. I mean, energy is obviously all around us. So being aware of how you're presenting that is, is obviously a huge, a huge deal. Yeah. I, um, I spend, I'm a language nerd. I spend a, a crazy amount of my time really focusing on language, even from mm. where our thoughts and image, you know, thoughts or images, which get produced first, but just, our language is how we give a speaking representation of our brains. Wow. And so it's so important to have, to use good language, but to be really be aware of non-constructive language as well, because it just, what I say right now was first a thought here. I'm just transmuting my thoughts. And so if I'm not, careful with my language or just even aware of, you know, my language tendencies and what effects they have on me, my energy and everything like that. Because like you said, our words are, it's like music, it's a vibration, it shifts our inner energy state. And so, you know, by using here, for example, if I say, I have to go to the store, or I choose to go to the store, mm. one's like a punishment, and one's very empowering. And it's just little things like that, where if we pick up on these small words that we use in our language, like if we say, if we say, I have to, I need to, I must, that all provides pressure instead of I get to, or I choose to, which is very empowering. And I don't care what you have to do. I, uh, if I don't have to change my son's diaper, I choose to. Why? Because I'd rather have good energy when I got to go clean shit than not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, That's you know what uh... I'm saying? Oh my God. Yeah. I actually felt myself get lighter when you said that. Cause I, I fall into these traps all the time of, of that. And it's, it's a, it's a daily practice with, with a lot of these things for me. And, and, um, when you said you study, is this like a kind of a freelance thing that you do or did you, did you actually study language? Did you? Sure. Uh, I've, uh, a lot of different language concepts, but I have a uh, neuro linguistic programming certifications and things wow. like that. that's what really, really got me into it. Uh, and it was all really first just for self-healing. You know, I just really wanted to figure out everything that I possibly could. I, I We have so much information available to us. And s s sometimes that could be a bad thing. But it's also a really amazing thing that this internet mm. has provided us where if there is an itch or something you want to learn, we can learn it right now with a click. And why not do it if you can't? Like you said, you're very curious to me. Curiosity is the birth of learning. And oh, that's absolutely. where it all stems from. Yeah, it's funny because I've been recently had the itch to go back to school and all these kids that I, I work with, whether it's you know high school, college, whatever, um, I tell them like, I wish I could go back in time and be more present in those classes. I was getting a free education and not taking advantage of it whatsoever. Because now it's things that, because you're so, when you're, when you're so focused on this goal of going to the NFL or whatever, whatever, when you're playing sports, I feel like especially you have these blinders on and that's all you care about. You're not even open to the fact that you could be learning something amazing in school. I mean, there's obviously people that do take advantage of that and do, but I feel like for most athletes, they're so focused on the next level or practice later that day that they're not even present in class and you're missing all these, all these opportunities to, to learn. So it's funny. I actually have the itch to go back and, and learn something and, um, you know, kind of a psychology type deal. I don't know exactly what field, but I'm, I'm very um, interested in, in the mind and kind of self-healing as well. So what, what is neuro, it's neuro-linguistic, you said? Yeah, and some people call it NLP. It's neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. It, it really breaks down 
how our brain operates wow. and how we do these things. So we all have uh, mental models of things. And that's what really people are deciphering as truth is if something fits their mental model or doesn't. And there's these, these little filters inside of our brains or the way that we, we talk about certain things or uh, different sort of uh, a, a very common thing in NLP is reframing, which is me basically helping someone see a new perspective on something. Mm. But our brains are so wired with these models that oftentimes, even though the different perspective is very obvious, our models don't allow us to see it. That's why I'm sure you've seen this um, if a friend tells you about their problems, you know right away how to fix them, but you don't know yours that way. And that's yeah. because our mental model is stuck in our problem, but we're not stuck in their mental model so we can see differently. And so it's really all about how language and our thoughts about language and anything we're doing and, and all that really affect our behaviors, what our models are and all that stuff. That's, that's incredible. And it's, uh, I feel like it's kind of part of the spiritual journey that people go down is where you almost get so fascinated with actually how the body, the mind, the soul, how everything actually operates so that you can actually, because I was, I've been going through some things like the last, I want to say four years about like where I could specifically like almost like a vision go back to where I felt like I had an imprint and I felt like I maybe learned something or was uh, limited or an expectation was set. You know, from when I was a kid, I can almost go back to that conversation from whether it was my mom, my dad, a family member, a friend when I was a kid that like made an imprint on me to go, oh, that's what that is. And I can almost like reverse engineer it. I find myself going, finding the root every once in a while and going like, oh, no, that's not how I think anymore and kind of like rewiring it. And it's been a really, really trippy thing. And it'll just hit me randomly if, you know, obviously something will spark something. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I learned that when I was a kid. My dad said this, but that's not true. You know, or like whatever the case, true to your sense. But, yeah, it's, that's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, those are, um, the, the yogis call them samskaras. Okay. And those are those uh, parts of your heart that have those, those past experiences. And uh, that's all that is. And in order to... So a samskara is like stored or blocked energy in your heart. And so what happens is if, like, let's just say I get angry and I have an outburst, but that's like from a samskara in my heart. So if the situation arises again and I don't get, I don't get angry and I could just let that energy pass, I work on removing the, the samskara. That's amazing. That's, I read, that's really what it is. Yeah, no, I, I read, uh, I I read the untethered soul by Michael a singer. And he talked about, you know, that whole deal about thorn, like if there's a thorn stuck in your arm and you go your whole life, trying to avoid it, or you can just take the thorn out. And that's kind of the same thing. Like we all have these thorns of different things and, you know, we feel these energy, this energy come up of like, you know, when you start to feel it happens to me all the time, a name can trigger it or an event or something. And it's, it's not even serious, but it starts to, your body starts to kind of get hot and you're starting to have this feeling of like, you feel the energy come up because I used to not understand when people would say, just let it go, just let it go. And I'm like, what the fuck does just letting go mean? I don't, I don't understand what they mean by letting go. And then reading that book really helped me understand when that energy and those feelings start to come up, you literally just breathe and let it actually pass through you because so many of us go, nope. And we try to push it down and it just yep. builds up to the point where one time it's going to, it's going to burst because we just keep pressing it down and it gets worse. And then the universe sends us, you know, opportunities to let it pass. And we keep pushing it down. We keep pushing it down. And so it's really funny you say that. Yeah, dude. Uh, Michael Singer's the man. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, too, you know, uh, our bodies and our minds are the most powerful and non-fully known things we really know. And for me, I'm so fascinated with just the idea of trying to understand this human condition that I'm, I'm in right now that I'm experiencing my mind, my emotions, my physical body to me, you know, like we still don't know the brain. We don't know this thing, right? Like all of this stuff is still a mystery. And so to me, I've just been so fascinated with dedicating my life to finding out my own stuff and helping others find theirs. That's, that's, that's amazing, man. And it's funny because after we spoke, 
Um, you know, you asked me the question or when we were speaking, you said, if you could, cause I was lacking clarity and direction. You said, if you could teach me anything, what would you teach me? And that's, that's stuck with me for so long. I've been like actually thinking about that. Like, what would I actually want to teach? Like you're saying, I, I dedicated my life to this. And I, I read a, a little, um, a sentence that said, Robin Sharma said it. And he said, like, he's here to liberate the potential of the mind, body, and soul. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that's kind of what this whole life is about, right? To liberate the potential of what your mind, body, and soul are capable of. And like you said, we really don't know shit about shit. Like every day shit's changing and we're finding new neural pathways and new ways to like, it, it's fucking, and we're only using like what, like 10% of our brain or something. Like it's insane. Yeah. insane. yeah everything, everything that has been created in the external world started from a thought. <laughs> and 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 that's you know what i mean and that's such a powerful thing like steve jobs thought of the iphone first someone had to think of it and and just realizing that that's how much potential and power that we really have is that anything we see here in this external world a technology of any sort or anything that we've been able to build or create is was once thought and so why not spend time getting, figuring out the source of all this genius you're literally one thought away from creating your own momentum, creating the life that you want, creating abundance. You're one thought away from changing everything that you know. It's like, that's what's crazy. And, and you're manifesting from these thoughts. And like you said, I went to a, an event one time where they talked about uh, the different types of being of, of how you can get paid. They talked about Steve Jobs, how Steve Jobs got paid to think and create and innovate. Like, that's insane. And it's, it's there's minds that work that way. Like you said, like the Wright brothers, they were like, yeah, we're going to fucking fly a plane. And you're like, what's dude, a, you're going to fly a plane. Like before that was even a thing. And, and now that's like the number one, we're, we're traveling all across the fucking world in airplanes now. And it's like, what? Like that wasn't even, it, it's just, it's insane. Like you said, this human experience, uh, the potential that we all have, it's, it, it's crazy. And I, I kind of want to circle back around. Um, I, I want to travel. I want to go see shit. I know you told, you said that you've traveled a lot. And when we talked prior uh, to the podcast, you said that you've, that was kind of one of the things in your, that was one of the priorities in your life, right? Was kind of traveling and experience um, is kind of yes. how you put it. Um, I'd like for you to kind of go into, go into that as far as like what, first of all, what made you want to travel and why did you crave these experiences and all, and what were some really cool, crazy experiences that you had while traveling? Sure. Uh, someone told me one time that the sign of a good leader was to have no culture bias. Wow. And I grew up in a small Italian neighborhood outside of Chicago. My father was in prison from when I was five till I was 16. So I never did any really traveling. And as I grew older, I was very fascinated with learning and experiencing how other people live. Mm -hmm. And that really, I mean, man, I've been Africa, South America. I mean, I've, I've really traveled. I just got back from Greece a week ago. I, I officiated a wedding in Greece. Um, and I just couldn't get enough of these different experiences of, of different people and stuff like that. I mean, I've done so many things. Here I go. Here's a fun one. I, uh, I told my best, so my best friend and I, uh, I've had a best friend for like childhood, 25 years. And we were in a place in our lives where I was getting, we were, we were moving away from each other. And it was really, I think, due to me doing more of the spiritual work and he didn't catch up to it yet. And, um, and I didn't know how to tell him this. Like I, it was a real big problem for me for like a year. I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to just say it to him. And uh, so I, I lied to him and told him that we were going to go to this business mastermind in Costa Rica because I knew he would Ooh. go. But, but meanwhile, we lived in an eco village for a week in tents. And it was like I lived in Punta Mona. You could look it up. It's, it's this incredible place. Like oh you could God. either get there. You could eat, when you get to the port, you could either get there by a boat or you could hike through the jungle. I volunteered us to hike through the jungle. Like I went in this Fuck complete, yeah. yeah, this is a huge experience with him. And it was there that I, we were sitting down for dinner and he was really uncomfortable. Like he wanted to leave. 
And that's when I told him that we're in a different place right now. I'm much more open to things and you're not. And this is and this is pulling us apart. And he really got the message, man. And after that, his whole life, he's, he's just became more open to things, more understanding of things, not closed off. And it changed our friendship forever. It's, that was over four years ago. And so that's a good fun story that I had. That's that's amazing, man. I uh I have been manifesting living in Costa Rica. Um probably this year I've been like call I'm like, I wanna go live in Costa Rica for a little bit. I wanna go like you said, my whole the whole reason we started Be Uncommon and the Uncommons was kind of the, the name of the group that we wanted to create was I wanted to go study the most uncommon people from all walks of life. And and like you said, all these different cultures and tribes and do as the locals do, do what the tribe does and be a part of the tribe. Like for fucking two months, I want to be a part of this tribe. I'll wear what you guys wear. I want to do what you guys do. Like, yeah. I want to learn and why we do it. What, why, what's the message behind all this? Because I feel like I even, especially, I'm really called. I want to go study the monks. I want to go to India and I want to go study. I want to go live in an ashram for a little bit. And just, I want to know what it feels like to have nothing and what it feels like. Like, why do people do this? And what does it feel like? And because we're so caught up in our world now of all this shit. And like you said, it's amazing. And there's also just times where I'm like, dude, I need, I need to get away from all this shit. Like I need, I want nothing. I want to just have nothing and see what that feels yes. like to detach. Um, that's amazing. What started your spiritual journey? You know, was there a, was there a point in time that you were like, like, you know, I know you said you wanted to go travel and, and what was the turning point where you were like, oh, there's more out there or you started to get more curious about it? Yeah, so I opened up my CrossFit gym in 2010, and in 2011 and 12, CrossFit got really popular, and I mm -hmm. grew really fast. My gym really grew, and around 2014 is when more CrossFit gyms started opening, more Orange Series and all that stuff, and my gym wasn't growing as fast as it did, and I spent probably about six months being a complete victim piece of shit. <laughs> there you Honest, go. you know, just it, yeah. blaming other, blaming my employees, blaming the clients for not referring, just a complete blame fest. And I stumbled upon the book uh, "Emotional Intelligence 2.0," and I feel like that is mindfulness to people that don't want to hear the word mindful. It just okay. helps you realize that. And I took that test, and I figured out uh, that I really lacked self awareness. Mm. That was like the thing. And from there, I just was like, okay, what's the self-awareness stuff? And then I just dove completely into it. And that's, and that really changed it when I re it was such a good feeling to learn that I was the limiter and it wasn't something else like that. That to me was so freeing because I knew that I could work hard. I knew that I was disciplined. I could figure things out. I just didn't know what the problem was. And as soon as I was the problem, I was like, this is it. It's been here the whole time. Fantastic. And I just dove all the way in. With it. I, I love that. I, I, I feel like there's a commonality between people's spiritual journeys when there's a point in time where they're looking outward and they're looking at their environment and all the external things around them when the real, like you said, the real problem is, is you just need to go inward and you got to figure out what makes you that way or what makes you you and, and what the problem is inside. And that's incredible, man. It's a, uh, it's a it, and it's a never ending journey. I feel like I stumbled upon something the other day. It was like sometimes you don't need the answers to the questions. You just have to live your lifestyle in that question, you know. And you yeah. don't need to go looking for these answers because and they'll come when you're ready. Like when the student's ready, the teacher appears, you know. And and um, it's it's incredible, man. It's incredible to talk to like minded people like yourself and to learn from people like yourself. And I'm honestly just curious because I we honestly don't know each other that well, and I just want to know. Kind of, I know you've kind of gone through this, the, your journey a little bit. I mean, you grew up in Chicago. I kind of want to just touch of how you got here. What were the events that kind of led you to be this teacher to entrepreneurs and teach these people and how to, you know, consider the feelings of others and, and what brought you to that point? Like, you know, you had a CrossFit gym sure. and an alpha hippie and I kind of just want to know that process. So... Uh, in two thousand January fifth, two thousand and nine, I was three hundred pounds, and I did uh, oh, my shit. first CrossFit workout. 
Wow. And I lost a hundred pounds in seven months and I completely changed. My whole life was different at that point. And I never really thought of myself as like a teacher or a coach. But when I started losing the weight, people just wanted to work out with me because they felt that I was inspiring. And mm. then I started learning more technical things and stuff like that and, and eventually opened the gym. And I, I just became so confident with me as a coach. And to me, that is a real deep identity of mine is to be a teacher and mm. share and be of service to people and help improve their condition in some way. And uh, in around 2017, I started my first group for men inside with, with people that were at my gym. And we were talking about these things. And I saw that once we've worked on these things, they got to the gym more. They were better husbands. They were happier people. And I just was like, why, you know, if this is the thing that affects everything, I want to start just teaching this because everything else will take care of itself. Mm. And that's what really propelled me to that. And then in 2019, uh, right before my son was born, I, I, uh, I went to, I went to yoga. And while I was doing yoga, I had this realization that it was time to let go of my gym and step fully into this. Um, it's, it was very scary. It still is pretty scary. Um, mm. you know, and, uh, it just, it, I knew that it was something in me that I just really wanted to do. And also too deep down, I, uh, I wanted my son to see me strive for something in his lifetime. Mm. I wanted to see him, you know, I wanted him to see me be uncomfortable. I didn't want him to be born in a world where, oh, daddy's got his CrossFit gym and it's still there and it's been there for all these years and he just hangs out all day and it was really easy for him to do it. I wanted him to see me be, to show him what life really was and not that it's just this pleasure cruise all the time. Man, that gave me goosebumps, bro. That was uh, that was powerful shit, man. I got... You fired up right there. It's because uh, it it is, man. It's about like you said. It's fucking scary. It's like anything worth doing is scary. And and you know, my whole thing is dance with fear. That's the uh, name of my email journal that I write in, and that's kind of been a thing that stuck with me for a while. Once I read The War of Art, um, it was just how fear is your compass, right? And and then once I started to really lean into fear, like I mean, I've done a lot of shit these last couple of years that probably makes zero sense to people. Um, but that's okay. But it's just, just learning, like you said, growing that, that comfort, uncomfortable muscle, right? Diving into the unknown, diving in to uncomfortable shit. And just like, I mean, there's, there's been several shows. Like we were in Hawaii with my girlfriend and there's this big ass cliff. And I was like, dude, if I don't jump off this, like I, I, this is everything I stand for. Like I'm scared shitless. I hate open water. I hate like jumping off these sides. It's like even the little things, that's how you grow your muscle. And so for you to, to do that and, for your for your kid for your, for you to see your son as, as that and want to teach him that that's incredible because like you said that's what's life about and that's the shit he's going to remember you know seeing oh fuck my dad did that and he and he grinded and he hustled and he did all this shit it's like that's cool shit can you talk about like that switch you know i'm not a parent but i feel like obviously when you have a kid um you know a child you bring a child into this world there's obviously some type of switch that you know, I don't know. It's, you know, and I think there's two ways you can go with it. I think some people, you know, like they go a different way, but it seems like the, the successful ones like yourself are very like, I want to show my, my child this, you know, and the unconditional love and, and that nature. Like it or not, our dads are our heroes. Mm. And I'm going to put on the cape. And that's how I look at it is I am this boy's measuring stick of what manhood and being a man should be. And I'm just going to do the best modeling I possibly can. It's incredible, man. You know, that's, that's, that's the job. That's, that's how it is, you know, and that's how I really look at it. You know, I, you know, the, uh, my, you know, 
I think, you know, you can't get rid of it all the way. I mean, I mean, like I still look up to my father in some ways. It's just this, your father's this mythological figure. You know, we come into this world and we're born from our mothers, but we believe that we're a part of our mothers. Our mothers represent ourself, our inner part of us. But our fathers represent the external world. Your father's your first friend. Your father's the first person that you realize that there's other people on the planet. And we're such like a a big model for people. And especially too, I have a son and I'm a son, so I could just relate to so many different things. And it just, I really want him to, to live a life with the best tools that he can, not an easy life, just having the tools for life. And uh, I want to be sure that I have them so I could give it to him. Fuck man, that's incredible. And I, I definitely agree. And coming from somebody, you know, even, you know, Father's Day just passed, but you know, I am, you know, in full open honesty, like I'm in a rough pass with my father. I haven't talked to my father since Thanksgiving. It's kind of the first time I've even said that out loud, but it's, it's, it's tough because I totally agree with you. Like your father is somebody, like you said, it's, it's your first friend and, and it's hard when you're going through some of these times. And I firmly believe that my relationship with my father isn't over. I just think that they're at a point where he has a journey to go down, almost like with your friend, where you were like, hey, man, I'm way too open, like, and you're kind of like, you know, you're just kind of anchoring me down a little bit, and you, you have some shit to change, and you have some shit to rewire, and it's almost like, that's a journey, you need to go down alone. I wish, and I've tried to go down that journey with him, and it's almost to the point where I feel like silence was the most powerful words at that point, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that was, maybe that was the point, but I, I really agree and i think that's just uh that's really powerful for people to hear yeah and the thing too is for you you haven't talked to your dad since thanksgiving 2021 right Mm -hmm. i mean in the life cycle of your lifetime of relationship that's such a small sliver of time like i think a lot of times when people like the idea of giving space for people just to have time without so they could see what life is like and, and, and appreciate things. It's really necessary because we all grow comfortable to certain things. And if we get too complacent, we don't appreciate them anymore. And how do we learn how to appreciate them? We take time away from them. It's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just part of the dance, my friend. It, it is, man. And I think like you said too, of just these these things that you start to do and your thoughts and your actions and how they become habits. And then one day you wake up and that's how you've been living your life the last 20 years of whether it's the way that you are talking to people. And, you know, in one of, in Robin Sharma's book too, he talks about how words are like arrows. And once you shoot them, you can't, they're not coming back. And so to be impeccable with your word, like you said, language is huge. And I think that's the big thing, the big picture that I think a lot of people need to understand is you might not, well, I, don't, I said this, but I meant, and it's like, yeah, but it's all about perception, right? There's no right or wrong. It's how you're making the other being considerate of other people's feelings. And I think that's what is so awesome about what you do is, yeah, man, it's not about, it's not always about you. It's about other people as well. And, and you giving your best self in order to bring others best out. And the language is such a huge tool for that. And uh, so I think it's amazing the work that you do. Thanks, brother. The, the one thing I tell everyone, if you want to get better at the language game, start by rereading all your text messages and emails out loud. Because mm. it's because e- there's a delete button. Like you said, when you speak, they're arrows. But if you really just want to learn how you're coming off, if you're not really aware of it, it could be read it out loud, though. Don't read it in your head. Read it out loud like someone else would read it. And you can understand your tonality really, if you're trying to say what you want to say and really just bring more attention and awareness to our language. I love that, man. And uh, again, just thank you for, for coming on here and, and spitting your wisdom and your knowledge and everything that you've learned. It was such an incredible and powerful message. Um, where can people find you if they want to, you know, if people hear this and want to work with you or look you up or where can people oh, find wonderful. you? Wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am Alpha Hippie is the Instagram and our website and uh, angelo underscore cisco on instagram and uh yeah anywhere anyone can reach me there i love that man and uh again angelo i just really appreciate you taking the time man it's a uh, second conversation of how with you bro and it's it's amazing it it uh, definitely hits home and i just love like i said learning from like-minded people like yourself brother so thank you so much no it was an absolute pleasure my friend i haven't had a I haven't been on a podcast i've enjoyed in some time so this was a breath wow. of fresh air and we got to really do it yeah it's um 
believe it or not, man, I really appreciate how you're so open with your dialogue and uh, that you're really uh, that you're really hearing and listening to what I say. I really feel that in your energy, and it just makes it so comfortable to be on this show with you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that because that is that is something that I I really want to um, you know focus on. I want people to feel like they're heard, so I really really appreciate that. Um, again, but it's. It's easy to uh, to do that when I'm talking to, to, to you like that, man. So just thank you. Thank you again, man. I really, really appreciate you and uh, look forward to definitely a part two at some point. <laughs> Anytime, brother. Much love. All right.